Hello and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, from the highest points on Florida State's campus in the hottest room in Seminole Sports. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WBFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State coming to you live from room 420 inside of Diffenbaugh. Save your jokes at the door. I'm your host, Nicholas Carlisle, bringing you the latest, greatest, and Florida status in everything sports, or at least as much as we can fit within the hour for people all around the world. Of course, you can find us at Twitter, or on Twitter, rather, at talk underscore tomahawk, and you can call into the show at 850-644-1837. Once again, that's 850-644-1837. Nick, tell them who's on the Twitter. Uh, who's on the t- who is on the Twitter? Oh, of course. It's Jenny. It's always Jenny. Uh, another one of our seniors. If in case um, it's senior day. It's senior day. <laughs> hey, uh, no. Like like every sport at Florida State, every sports show deserves a senior day as well and it's senior day here at Tomahawk Talk. So Jenny, who's been um, thoroughly consistent throughout her time here is uh sending us off on twitter for one final time um thank you jenny for all the work that you've done i'm sure we said thank you so much why why are the tears coming anyway tears are coming already guys it's going to be an emotional show um (laughs) welcome to tomahawk talk everyone and just like david gettleman uh it's important to remember we all make mistakes terrible (laughs) horrible franchise ruining mistakes uh well chris today's the day today is the day and um Monday. It's a Monday, and it's it's the show that we thought was almost never going to happen. It, it seemed like. Well, we kind of. But like in a negative it. way. Right. It, we we I remember when we first um, were developing ideas for the show and how we wanted to shape the way that Tomahawk Talk would run while we're at the head of it. You know, we we just thought, wow, we have so many shows to really mm-hmm. carry out our vision, and now we're graduating <laughs> on on. Friday or Saturday for well, you? Well, for me, it's Saturday. How about you? I think I'm on Friday. You're on Friday? So. All right. Well, you'll be out here sooner than I am. Yeah. Whew. Okay. Well, Whew. Uh, <laughs> Florida State baseball is back in the top 25, so we are going to talk a little bit about Florida State baseball. It's basically going to be most, mostly a uh, retrospective show from everybody here at Tomahawk Talk. For well, we got to get, the... get stuff out of the way. So we're also going to be talking about the NFL draft, basically our hot takes, our first impressions on who reached a little bit too far, who made some really bad mistakes, and who actually had a very, very good draft. And you're going to be surprised about some of our selections. So looking forward to that. But without further ado, what is a captain without his crew? I am joined one final time by my good friend and co-host, Chris Camacho. How, how are, the tears are starting to flow, huh? No, no. Not no. yet? <clears throat> We're fine. We're good. <laughs> We're fine. <laughs> no, everything is great. It's, it's, it's really good to be here. It's nice to... This seat feels feels very well adjusted. Yeah, I got I got squeaky seat again oh, for the fi- for the final. Yeah, I don't know. See? I don't know, <laughs> guys, if you can hear this, but squeaky seat. Um, <laughs> it's, it's it's good to be uh, in, in the co-pilot seat with you. One la- one last ride, bud. One one last ride indeed. And joining us tonight, we got the swan song panel, as I already said, consisting of <coughs> Mr. UCF, who is going to be the next host of Tomahawk Talk. Uh, we're going to be carrying me and him are going to be carrying out the show throughout the re- throughout the summer before. Uh, I give him the keys uh, to the flagship show, but um, uh, Mr. UCF Luke Fay, also known as the Steak and Shake Bandit, yes, um, yes, of course, brought in the goods as of today. To, as of today, it, <laughs> there might be thirty spoons just missing from there. I don't know where they went, but they could be used for this evening's ice cream social. I don't know, <laughs> but a, a great honor taking it from Nick. Nick done a, a great job in these uh, last two semesters, and we're gonna give him another half semester to go here in the summer. Pretty excited. Uh, learn, learn from the best here. 
learn from the best indeed i think thank you that that is very uh very humbling um and you're the best co-host or you're the best host we've had in the last 10 months <laughs> that's saying something wow that's saying something wow so because you've been the only one because i've been the only one <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I, I, I hosted for two, so that actually means something. Yeah, well, you know. Well, I feel like that's getting an Oscar nomination, but you know, it's everybody's from the same movie. So really <laughs> uh, <laughs> and to his left, or right rather, uh, Mr. Get What You Pay For, Brandon Spencer, joining the Swan Song panel. We'll get into sentimentals towards the end of the show, but to set the tone, uh, what's been your favorite sports moment in your time at Florida State? Wow. Um. Feel free to take your time on this. Jeez, uh, my favorite sports moment. Um, at probably seeing it live, um, the uh, game winner against Purdue, uh, Trent Forrest, uh, hitting the, the fadeaway jumper against Purdue this past season. Uh, just off the top of my head, the first thing that came to me, that was a great moment. Um, I had to hide my emotion <laughs> yes. As a media member, but inside I was screaming and yelling and doing backflips, so it was a great thing to watch. Yeah, that's something that, you know, I, I think people don't really understand about what we do, and it's probably, as we were talking about on the graveyard shift on Thursday with, with Sebastian, it's something that people really don't understand about our line of work is that basically our fandom gets robbed of us. When we make the conscious choice to become a, a sports journalist, a sports reporter, whatever have you, uh, that, that ability to be a fan of Florida State sports, of of any sport in general kind of get gets ripped away from you it's a great test of uh of willpower (laughs) absolutely for sure how how much can you hide your emotion on the side because there i mean you and i uh, the the three some of us do better than others yes that's true you me and luke when we were in miami watching that game it was hard for the three of us to keep it together miami uh media didn't have such a hard time yeah no that was boston college game i think for everyone on the the 60 or 70 yard pass to marion terry that was i i I think nick nick was a little bit jumpy there that is that is one of the rare times that you will ever see me crack uh, as a media member i was with gary i was with gary putnick and we didn't we didn't really say anything but we definitely had our jaws on the floor and we looked at each other like oh my gosh um but moving on finally to round out the uh, the Swan Song panel, Mr. Dakota Gear, how are you feeling? Happy to be here for one last ride. One last ride. Couldn't have said that any better. So Chris Camacho, Luke Faye, Brandon Spencer, Dakota Gear, and once again, I'm your host, Nick Carlisle, and we are starting off the top, which if you didn't already know, is the segment where I take a look at the past week in sports, rip the top stories, and ask our panel about them, forcing them to come up with the answers off the top of their head at the top of the show. And tonight, the Rockets and Warriors continued their seemingly annual playoff rivalry and already... There's some controversy in officiating. Not only was last night reviewed and the league commented that the officials missed quite a few calls on Harden towards the end of the game, but apparently the Rockets also, uh, after last year's conference final finals, audited the league with 81 missed calls in Game 7 of that series. So apparently there is some... <laughs> uh, We'll we'll choose the word conflict in officiating, guys, because uh, I think they'd include optometry in there in their medical yeah, package. Absolutely, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it's James Harden and his game basically revolves around drawing fouls and hitting crazy step back jumpers. How much weight does this audit have, and how would you call the series moving forward, Chris? In terms of in terms of. James Harden kind of, I don't want to say whining about not getting foul calls. When well, listen, you're taking away 20 of his points. Yeah, well. By, by, by uh, you know, with the refs missing these these calls and stuff, I'm sure Harden, Harden knows that when he's at the line, he's at his best, unless he's making, like you said, those crazy step-back jumpers. 
Um, no, I, I well, it, it, it's hard as a fan, as an NBA fan, because as a, as a fan of basketball, like you want to watch good basketball, and obviously when you see a blatant call missed, I mean you hear about it all the time in sports. It's the issue is blown calls is a part is is a part of the human element of the game, right? Like that's what we always say. But I think on a big stage like the NBA playoffs, anytime you're talking postseason athletics, you need to make sure the officiating is on point. Luke, I think it's uh, this this might be a little bit of a stretch, but people in the NBA are starting to think that the Golden State Warriors are the evil empire, kind of what what the Patriots are now, to where is the league trying to go and make it to where they're good? Not with the league didn't really do that with the Patriots, but that being said. People love to hate the Warriors, but the in the NBA there is the parody is is it, there isn't too much of it, and so what they want to see is the Warriors in the finals, and whether that might be a call here or there, some people are starting to get a little bit uh, suspicious. But for me, I think this Rockets team is not too far behind the Warriors without Boogie Cousins. I don't think they are, uh, but with that, I think it's just has it has to be uh, in line with. People want to see the Warriors in the finals, and would it be a bad finals if they weren't there? How big is the gap, or how big would the gap would be? Or, well, you try to get what I'm trying to. How big would the gap be with Demarcus Cousins in that lineup? That's a really good question. I think uh, that that's one for Brandon. Brandon, you got two <laughs> questions to answer here. All right. Well, first off, I believe that the the Rockets are really reaching, reaching so much that they they need to foul out because. They ask, they're whining for calls just as much as anybody else. And they, if James Harden doesn't get the most calls than anybody in the NBA, they don't know who does. So the fact that they want to audit the Warriors, not only for this year, but for last year's Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals, to me it doesn't make any sense. It's not going to prove anything because at the end of the day, they're a run-and-gun team that shoots threes and gets their merit from going to the free throw line. So the fact that they want to say that the other teams are getting like more calls going their way, I think it's BS in my opinion. And I like the Rockets. I, I would like them to win, but at the same time, I I think they're 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 asking for too much. In terms of the Marcus Cousins, um, I think he's just a matchup nightmare. Uh, when he's on the floor, he can shoot the three. He can put the ball on the floor. He can set screens, fade, roll. He makes them a monster team that everybody's been talking about, and. Right now, I think the Rockets could definitely win this series in in seven. But if they if the Warriors still had Demarcus Cousins and he was playing the way he was playing before he ruptured his groin, I mean ruptured his quad, I believe that this game this series will be over in five. That's how much of a difference I think he makes. Dakota, what do you think? I actually think he doesn't make that much of a difference on the outcome of this series because he didn't have much time to integrate with Golden State. And he had a horrible plus-minus, I believe it was around minus 19, in the short time he was on the floor with a lot of the Warriors starters. Plus, with Clint Capella down there for Houston, I feel like they would have the advantage at center either way. I feel this more co- this more comes down to the talent on the two teams and the guards work. The Warriors, they're probably going to win in six. Oh, you think so? So you think it's going to be six? But what about what about the foul call? How would how would you call this series moving forward? Would you make it try to you know think it make it a little bit more even, or do you think it's going to stay the same? I think you know we're going to see an overcorrection by the refs, just like we would at 
other points in the season when they're called out or such by the NBA as well because they don't like the look of players whining about the refs. And there were some calls where that were missed, especially in the first half, say a la Clay Thompson, Draymond Green sliding under Harden's feet. And that can be especially annoying for a player when you have your your where you're supposed to land taken out from under you. You see it on layups as well when you're pushed in the back. Those are fouls that really get under the skin of players that you do not like to be a part of because they can really hurt you. And I think that's where the root of some of this whining is for. But definitely, there's going to be an overcorrection. There's going to be a few more fouls called in the next couple of games, I believe, than the first one. Yeah, I definitely think they're going to play the, their, the rest of them call the game much tighter as the series moves on. You know, when it when it comes to just talking about sports in general, as much as I love talking about football, Chris, I, basketball has actually really developed into being my favorite sport just because I love – Oh, yeah, yeah, even over baseball. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, Nick's a baseball guy, if you guys oh, didn't know. Man. Real, real America's guy. Real mature guys. Real mature. Um, <laughs> hey, the beat writer for the Florida State Seminoles. Mm-hmm. That's that's you for, well, for baseball, buddy. Well, yeah, I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> anyways, <laughs> anyways, thank you for telling me He's what like I already know. Um, <laughs> but just I, I think what I love the most about basketball is just when basketball is working the way that it should, passes, backdoor cuts, making tough shots, the intricacy of the game is what makes it so beautiful to me. And so when I'm watching a series like the Warriors and the Rockets, it's absolutely frustrating to me. It's not that the Warriors don't pass the ball. I'm talking more about the Rockets and James Harden and how constant stoppage. there's constant stoppage, there's constant fouls, and it's just horribly unfun to watch horribly unfun to watch and that's why i really just like james harden so much i think he's talented he's definitely one a top 10 player in this league but he he does not he does not make basketball fun for me hate, hate to say it though the isolation by james harden it's his best thing but it's so boring it's to so watch. boring to I watch mean, dribble it down to five seconds and you know you know what he's going to do everyone on the court knows what he's going to do goes and kicks out that leg and still hits a shot and you're like how how do you stop this and you saw if if you looked Ricky Rubio played defense from behind from behind him yeah and and that was the worst he had ever shot uh in an entire he started out 0 for 15 in the game so i mean it, you can't even play you can't play conventional basketball against him so imagine trying to watch it with that being said, the Rets are definitely going to take a bit of a, a extreme stance to the calling in this game just because Harden made a point to complain about it. But for the rest of the series, I think the Rets are just going to start no-calling just a bunch more, kind of keep the game up pace and a little bit more exciting to watch. At least that's how I would call the game. That's how I hope they would call the game. And, you know, James Harding is, is asking for uh, just a fair chance, I think he said in his quote. Um, he's gotten more of a fair chance than anybody in this league playing for Nick, a don't long forget, time. Don't forget, Chris Paul got thrown out of the game at the end. That's true, too. For arguing the call. For arguing the call. Yeah, yeah. I think he got, what, 35? Is yeah. that, that what I heard? So, yeah. so it's not it, it's not just James Harden. It's, uh, I think, the whole Houston team. Both teams are kind of whiny, man. Yeah, both they, teams are uh, very whiny. It's hard to watch, you know. One thing I do want to say about James Harden, though, is that um, I – I believe that I I also don't like the 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 one on one style and him holding the ball for you no know, twenty two out of twenty four seconds on the shot clock. But I think if you're a player that can change the way that people not only plan against you, but the way refs call the game, the way people uh, even play the game of basketball, 
I think that means you're special. The fact that he's the, he's literally changing the way people look at the game and play, changing the way that people are planning. Because one-on-one basketball used to be like, that's not going to work. Nobody's mm-hmm. no nobody's going to be able to win games playing the way like he is. But this guy has scored, what, 30 points, 30 straight times, 32 straight times Something this year? Something insane like that. But it's, like, it's, 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 it's more to the it's point. Special. It's special. It's not that Harden isn't talented for me. Because he absolutely is, especially because everybody in the arena knows exactly what he's going to do, and he can still do it mm-hmm. for 30-plus points a night. It's the fact that that's the way that the game is played, mm. and I just find that totally uninteresting, and I would like for the refs to play a little bit more uh, no, more non-college, unless it's like my heart and literally gets his face smacked in by by uh, <laughs> Andrew Green. But, uh, Draymond Green or Andrew Bogut or something like that. <laughs> So uh, that was the Optitop segment brought to you by me, sponsored by me, answered by our panel. So uh, as we teased at the beginning of the show, Florida State baseball back in the top 25 after a long hiatus. I don't think they've been in the top 25 since the loss to the Florida Gators earlier in March. I know it was. It's been a long time. Maybe since after the second weekend in ACC, in ACC competition. Something like that. But they went from, like, something in the 90s of RPI now back down to 34, I believe. Somebody might want to correct well, my... Uh, they've, they've stepped it up. Correct my, my stats on that. But, uh, Chris, just taking a look at what this team has been able to do, our, our, obviously we've already talked about how this team has been able to rekindle the fire. They've been able to claw back, get three straight ACC series wins with this series win against Wake Forest this past weekend. Do you think that this team is finally feeling as comfortable as they did at the beginning of the season? Uh, I think so. If anything, it, it looks like they're settling in even more, as, particularly at the plate, because I'm looking at their last five games, and in not a single one of those games do they have hits in the single digits, which is really impressive. It, to, to be able to get a team hitting consistently uh, at the plate, Robbie Martin is looking as great as he did at the start of the season. Um, you know, I, I think the offensive production is something that has been really important, especially in uh, for a Florida State team whose pitching staff has been so inconsistent. So when you have the ability to produce offensively, it really makes up, especially in games like the the game that was on Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken, against uh, against Stetson, the eight, the eight to nine, the nine to eight final yep. score. Florida State's bullpen started blowing it in later late in the game, but obviously without. Um, without the consistent production from the offense, that game would have been another blown, another blown one. And uh, he, I like how you say the bullpen began to blow it because they did uh, blow it in the final game against uh, against Wake Forest this past weekend. I mean, you take a look at the at a, uh, a score line of sixteen to twelve, and when you score twelve runs, you'd think that you'd be able to win that baseball game. But sure. uh, well, but again, if if you're looking at how well they've done in the span of five games this past week. Oh, I mean, you're, it's, you're, been, it's been definitely right. No, you're you're bound you're bound to give up something like that. You know, it's uh, to be on a four game winning streak. I think is is a really good run for this team. Dakota, that's right. But the bullpen it is becoming a worry because there were 14 walks that game, and that's a big contributor to those. Wow. Yeah, that's wow. a huge contributor to that bloated score you see there. And uh, just taking a look at it, I mean, uh, the 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 walks two for Grady, three for Drohan. Two for Velez, one for Haney, two for Ahern, one for Flowers, who did actually get a, a, a good uh, chance to throw. It was probably his worst uh, outing of the season. I, I don't think he allowed – no, he allowed one run prior, but he allowed two in this game. So, I mean, he, being Florida State's most consistent pitcher across the board, uh, he had his worst outing of the season. Uh, Austin Pollock with two walks, and he gave up three runs. I mean, he's just, he's just not there, Chris. Not there. 
there. And, and unfortunately, it's. I, I think this is one that he's just going to have to take the season. He's just going to have to ride out the rest of the season and, and see what happens next year. But on the bright side of things, Luke, uh, C.J. Van Eyck and Drew Parrish have once again confirmed uh, uh, they've had another week of confirmation that they are back into being the aces that Florida State expects them to be. Uh, how do you how do you rate their confidence going into this weekend series uh, against Pittsburgh, who is one of the worst ACC teams at the moment? I uh, I like that you mentioned that. We talked about last uh, I think last week how if you lose to a team where it's still snowing in February, probably shouldn't be playing baseball. So they're going up against people that are inferior, one of the worst teams in the ACC. You know what would be really good? You know what would be really good for this Florida State team? Let's pitch a shutout. Let's just pitch a shutout. Get the bullpen. Get some confidence. Have your starter go seven innings. Get a shutout and have 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 that confidence. If you can if you can just allow here, – here's, here's what I say. Allow four runs or less in the entire series, and I think that that is a win. Allow four runs or less, and you're probably going to win at least two out of three of those games – just by doing that, but do that and get some confidence because I think the bats are fine. The bats are fine. It's just uh, if it, if you look back at the Wake Forest game, every almost every single inning they scored, but it was because they, they end up allowing three runs in uh, the seventh. I think it was, you know, just the, four runs in the seventh. Yeah, four runs in the seventh. It's so hard to come back uh, when you're when you're down. They were just down the whole game. So if they can just get it to where the offense is going to score. The offense is going to score. If you can just get some type of confidence in that bullpen and in the starting pictures, and it really you, – you talked about those two. Really, that third day or that third guy, that's the person who's got to step up. I don't know who will. but I think, I think at this point it has to be Drohan. I mean, Drohan has had the most consistent outings uh, in the Sunday starter slot out of anybody that I've seen so far this season. But it's not saying much. It, it's not yeah. saying much. He yeah. does have a lot of command issues at the time. But I, I want to go off of something that you said, Luke. Um, and it's that these pitchers are now facing lesser competition like they did at the beginning of the season. Brandon, does it concern you that now they're starting to reemerge versus lesser competition? Do you have any concerns that uh, eventually when this team does face tougher competition like Louisville at the end of the season and does get into ACC uh, tournament play, that they're just going to dwindle back into what the kind of slump that we've seen earlier this season. Yes, because uh, that exactly exactly what they did at the beginning of season at the season. You follow certain trends, and their trend seems that when they go against the better competition, they go back into their slump. They go back into giving them more hits, more runs, and giving up leads. And I agree with Luke, and I just think that they need a series where. They just completely dominate just to build their confidence moving forward, and I think it needs to be against a very good team, an ACC, an ACC team, so they can allow them to have confidence when it comes down to the tournament. They can do this against ACC teams, not just against the the Joes of the of the country. So, Chris, uh, we're going to wrap up talking about base- baseball here really quickly, but just just one more one more question for you, uh, especially because you know the bats. It seems like I think the biggest issue that has faced Florida State this season, and you can say in in a generality that it's been the defense and the pitching that has really just plagued this team, but on, on a more big picture level, it's the fact that the defense and the offense cannot sync together. 
in terms of their consistency. When the defense was playing well, the bats began to die out. When the bats were extremely hot, it was the pitching that really suffocated this baseball team. Now that they're together again, and definitely the bats are super hot right now, Drew Mendoza leads the team in home runs, walks, and RBIs. Or th- At least that was on Saturday. I'm not quite sure. No, it looks like that's still the case. Is it still the case? Um, I mean, he's been playing his absolute heart out. Uh, is, is it kind of, I don't necessarily want to say, can, it's obviously not concerning that they're hitting their stride at the same time, but the bats are so good right now. Do you have any worry that they're going to kind of go back down into a slump? Well, listen, hitting your stride near the end of the season is never a bad thing. That is definitely something that you want to keep consistent going into the postseason. When you're going to, to I'm, I don't know where the ACC tournament is going to be held this year, but when, you, when you're going into the ACC tournament with hot bats, uh, and starting pitching that is that has been on fire, and if those two are in sync, I think that's a big recipe for success. Um, I think being able to mitigate uh, any any sort of adjustments made by opposing pitchers going into the going into that you know going into the tournament, that's obviously going to be a huge testament as to how well this team is going to do. Because like obviously before you play before you play a team, the, the other team they do their research. They're they're looking at film, they're looking at where um, at what I forget the exact term for it, but you know, like what particular part of the strike zone has been hot for you. So it's how can you make those adjustments? Luke, do you agree with that? With the with the with with with, with with Chris's assessment. Well, yeah, I think that if if you just go with with how Florida State has played, the inconsistencies, it's not very hard to find um, where where the trouble is. And so if if they can just mask, if they can get rid of rid of the bullpen issues, if they can get rid of those errors that have plagued this team for years since I've been at Florida State. I don't know if they teach normal baseball over at, at Florida State in <laughs> training camp in the fall, but shoot, they they got to at this point. So if they can do those things, just take away those simple mistakes, this baseball team's going to be good because they have talent, Nick. They have talent, and talent will out. And it just seems, Dakota, like, and this is what Mike Martin has said additionally, it's that this this team has been learning how to play baseball, which is kind of a, a weird thing to say when you're playing at the collegiate level that this team is learning how to play baseball. Do you think that that storyline over the course of the season kind of seems to be coming true? It kind of does because they started off hot at the very beginning, but as soon as, as Brandon hit on earlier, as soon as adversity hit, they kind of fell apart. And since then, they've been putting themselves back together it feels like you know they finally got back back on the roll again against some competition they've only lost two of their past 11 games I believe and as you said at one point it's the pitching the other point it's the it's the hits and if they can get those two because they've had both functioning well at just different points during the season if they can get those two rolling at the same time then they can complete that narrative that he's been pushing the entire season, as you said. So we're about halfway through the show at this point, so a little bit of the draft coming up in the second half and then just a lot of reminiscing as much as we can fit in. Uh, lots of te- Well, we'll, we'll try it. We're, we're grown men. Um, well, Chris, I Listen, mean. Listen, grown men shed tears. Okay. It's well, okay for men to cry. It's okay. okay. Forget that stereotype. Okay. No All stigma. Right. Okay. In, uh, All right, Brandon. <laughs> All right. <laughs> as we learn in sport management. <laughs> yes, sir. Hegemonic masculinity. Really? Mm-hmm. Destroy that. Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Who's, Who's cried cry? this week? Raise your hand. 
Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay, everybody, that's everyone. Everybody, right. everybody raise their hand. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back in 90 seconds, and we'll have Lucas with the Time Honor Tradition, a seminal segment. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Sports fans, I'm Lucas Vettier here to bring you your seminal segment. Florida State baseball pitcher Drew Parrish was named Atlantic Coast Conference Pitcher of the Week. This is the first time the junior has received the weekly ACC honor in his three years at FSU. On Friday, Parrish pitched seven shutout innings against a Wake Forest team ranked in the top 15 nationally in hits, home runs, and runs scored. He allowed only three hits, one walk, and struck out ten. It was Parrish's third win in his last three outings, where he has allowed no runs and has seen his ERA fall from a 6.21 to a 3.99. Parrish joins Connor Grady as the second Seminole this season to win ACC Pitcher of the Week. The NFL Draft ended on Saturday, and while defensive end Brian Burns and defensive tackle Demarcus Christmas were drafted, several other FSU players signed contracts as undrafted free agents shortly after. Wide receiver Nyquan Murray and defensive end Walvensky Aim both joined DeMarcus Christmas on the Seattle Seahawks. Offensive tackle Derek Kelly signed with the New Orleans Saints, and defensive tackle Fred Jones signed with the New York Jets, where his uncle, former FSU linebacker Marvin Jones, spent his entire 10-year NFL career. This year's draft saw the fewest number of Florida State players selected since 2016, where only two Seminoles were taken as well. Among the FSU players remaining as undrafted free agents are running back Jaquez Patrick, offensive lineman Alec Eberly, and defensive back A.J. Westbrook. That's all for this week's seminal segment. Now back to Nick and Chris on the panel. Thank you so much, Lucas, for the time-honored tradition, the seminal segment, the last seminal segment of, this year. of the year. Oh, wow. Okay, I, I just got I just got the little, ting, the little tingling in the heart. Um, so... Uh, NFL draft was obviously a huge, huge topic this past weekend. Definitely, I'm glad a, we, we remembered. Yeah, <laughs> once we finally remembered. <laughs> look, look, it, look. It was. It wasn't that the draft wasn't entertaining. I think this is probably one of the more entertaining drafts in recent memory. But it was the fact that there was no hype leading up to it. Lead up was horrible. It was horrible. <laughs> um, but once, once, once we actually got into the draft, there were a. Um, 
a couple of um, interesting moments. And the one that I want to start off is the Titans drafting uh, Jeffrey Simmons. Uh, and this is more of a, of a personal thing for me. I, I don't know how the rest of the panel feels about it, but I just thought it was absolutely awful what they did to him on live TV. And it's 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 not the fact that what he did is is good in any way. It's absolutely horrible. And it, it will never be right in the grand scheme of things. But this is a night that that young man is going to remember for the rest of his life. And I don't know if it was the NFL that signed off on this or whether it was ESPN or whoever. But as soon as he got drafted, Trey Wingo, at least who I, the, the, the source that I was watching, said, okay, so this pick is going to be a little bit awkward to talk about. And immediately I knew, okay, this is going to be an absolute BS <laughs> Uh, Let's sit back and yeah, what's about to happen. Yeah, and they, instead of, you know, talking about this this guy's athleticism, talking about his credentials, they spent about the next five or six minutes talking about what he did and talking about how context mattered and all of this and all of that. And it was so overdrawn and awkward that it dragged the entire draft down. Nick, could you could – you... Uh, be a little bit more specific on what he did do. Uh, he, he, did he stomp on the top of a player? Was that no, no? Well, he I think he did that, but um, he got into an altercation with a woman who with a woman who um, was having a verbal confrontation with his younger sister. No, if I'm not like in the video, they were his sister and this woman were actually fighting. And he came in and broke up the fight, and it didn't stop there. But and and the way that I just described it there, Chris, that's all that should have been said. That's all that should have been said. They should not have taken five minutes out of their airtime to, I'm not going to say defame this kid, because obviously people should know, or they deserve to know what happens, but they should not have done it in that style where it completely shuts down the entire draft to talk about something that could have been wrapped up in three seconds and you move on from it. If people are curious, they, they can they can go on and look well, for themselves. Nick, listen, it's, it's interesting, because in, in a league that has been so well-known for all of the domestic violence cases against its players, I, I think what N, what the NFL and ESPN is trying to do, which did they do it in the best way? I think that's that's what's up for debate. But I think it's addressing the issue, you know, and exploiting it. Yeah, but I, I take it, I but. take a look at what happened with Laramie Tunsil when the Dolphins drafted yep. him two years ago, mm -hmm. where they showed the picture on air. It took about maybe ten or fifteen seconds. They said that he had character issues. They said that he may have something wrong with him. And, or something wrong with his 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 prospect um, grade or whatever, whatever language they wanted to use. They said it. They moved on. They didn't take five minutes to try oh, and to was... try and. I don't know if they were trying to spin this. Guys, it's or... not an it's not an isolated incident here. What what they were trying to do was just drum up drum up something. But really, what you got to go to is if they spent five or six minutes on this guy. Think of all the other parents whose kids just got drafted and they aren't getting talked about in a positive light. They're missing those people are missing their spotlight. But I want to say this, Nick. If you go and look at Devin Bush, the linebacker out of Michigan, right. what was his first highlight? It was him defaming the Michigan State. It was uh, him it was him logo. tweeting over the, the Michigan State logo at the center of the field, and they didn't play a single highlight for a straight minute, just him kicking. And I'm going, what is the point of this? So obviously that was part of their agenda was was to drum up some type of controversy because, like you said, the lead-up to this was nothing but, ooh, what can we do to, to take away from – he was kicking the dirt. It doesn't really matter. That's not a big deal. But, you know, that's a, that's an issue, Nick, that everything's going on. That, that's what bothers me. Well, listen, you're, you're also comparing kicking dirt to 
to kicking something else. Right. But I'm saying there's that's that's another one which has nothing to do with his football ability. I I think the NFL has that on in ESPN took a big L on that one honestly because if you if you want people to talk less about the problems that football players have and the off the field issues, you would think you wouldn't put it in such a big spotlight, especially for guys that are for some actually for all are changing their life forever. And and you know he he's you know everybody remembers the day they got drafted. Right. How is this man going to feel knowing that everybody saw his probably biggest mistake in his entire life, in his in in juxtaposition with the biggest moment of his life. Yeah, I mean, it's, just it's horrible. It's horrible. his whole character. Like, well, horrible. Speaking of character, like, apparently this this guy is, like, a really nice guy. Like, he, like yeah. he's turned... And, and, again, nobody is saying that what he did was, was right in any capacity. No, of course not. It's, it was awful. Yeah. No, I, but... I, I completely agree that the NFL and the and ESPN are taking a big L on this. I, I also can't help but think, however, that they could have gotten rammed, reamed for not saying anything about it. I mean... Like you said, you you spend ten fifteen seconds on it, but then, you know, like is is it enough at that point? Is the ten or fifteen seconds? There is there is there is there is two sides to the story. No, absolutely. At, in every case, but uh, moving on, we're trying to uh, get through this in at least a timely manner. <laughs> uh, I just have one more question since we're on that. Talk. One more question. Are, are you gonna Are you gonna mention the Chiefs at all? Because uh, I think this would be this would be a good good time because well I I wasn't planning on it. Because we've talked, unfortunately, my tenure as host of the show has been plagued with a lot of uh, bad things happening to sports people and bad things occurring, uh, whether it's Kristaps Porzingis, whether it's Luke Walton, whether it's Kareem Hunt, and now Tyreek Hill. I think um, j- it's just one one point where the stance is because I, I, at this point, man, they've they've got to they've got to kick him out of the league. They do. If he doesn't get kicked out of the league, it's going Tyree, to be Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Ty- Ty- Hill is who we're Ty- talking Ty- about. Tyreek Hill. It's going to be one of the. If this, if this, what happened to Jeffrey Sims and what happened with Kareem Hunt, if that's not the most damning thing that happened in the NFL, them not kicking Tyreek Hill out of the NFL will be the one thing that damns this league. Uh, to part of my French, but uh, the first uh, pick of the NFL draft did in, end up being Kyler Murray, and I, I've, I've asked you. Uh, all about your feelings on Murray and whether he deserved to go number one. We've asked that a couple times on this show, but in the context of the entire draft, does Murray? make this draft class for Arizona, Brandon? Um, I think he does, uh, especially since they got rid of their, their their number one QB pick last year in Josh Rosen, which I guess we're going to get into later. But um, he definitely makes this QB class because he's going to be the guy that can either make or break this franchise moving forward, especially since they moved so many different pieces in order for him to be where he is right now. They got a new coach. They moved their star quarterback that they thought was going to be their future out of off the team, and now they have him in place of, him, in place of that guy to um, – not just try to lead this team, but you know, give Larry Fitzgerald his last run and try to get him maybe some playoff contention and maybe a chance to to win a Super Bowl. Uh, I think he's very talented. I think he has a chance to be very great in this league. But if he doesn't, they put all the marbles, you no, know, yeah, <laughs> somewhere where they should have. Well, I also think they also put some investment. The, the Arizona Cardinals, in particular, put some investments in their in their weapons. Get getting making sure that they are arming. Uh, Kyler Murphy with the best weapons available to him. With that being said, they, they drafted guys like Andy Isabella, uh, Hakeem Butler, Keyshawn Johnson, and these are guys that are essentially going to succeed Larry Fitzgerald on his way out. So I, I think they've not only have they gotten perhaps the best quarterback in the draft, but they've also set him up for success with some good weapons going I, forward. I think you meant Keenan Johnson, um, but 
Keyshawn Johnson is retired. Oh, excuse me. My bad. <laughs> uh, um, either way, I, I disagree with both of you. I think this draft was an absolute failure for the Arizona Cardinals, and it's not because of Kyler Murray. It's because they did not do anything to improve their situation from last year other than the fact that Kyler Murray is a better player than Josh Rosen is. Mm-hmm. He's a better athlete. Everybody knows that. But Josh Rosen was one of the – I believe I don't know if he was number one or if he was number two, but he was the most pursued quarterback in terms of um, – I guess, pass pass rushes. It was either number one or number two with Deshaun Watson. The offensive line for Arizona was terrible last year. Awful. They did not take an offensive lineman until the seventh round. And this, they did get an, I think they they got a guard in free agency at Mm. some point. But, (laughs) sure, Kyler Murray is going to be better at getting out of some situations than Josh Rosen is, but you're still going to be relentlessly pursued by every single defensive line that Arizona is going to face next year. What you're saying is, so what Florida I'm, State yeah, well, yeah, exactly. essentially, essentially, yeah. and it blows my mind. It it really shows that the Cardinals were really just so tunnel vision on getting Kyler Murray and how they're going to use them with you know Cliff Kingsbury and whatever have you that they weren't thinking about the gigantic picture on how football actually works. You need an offensive line. The offensive line is the besides the quarterback the most important position in the entire league, and they have nothing. Kyler Murray is going to have the same struggles that Josh Rosen did in his first year. Granted, he's probably going to be able to handle them better because he's an athletic freak of nature, but I think this draft was horrible for the Cardinals in that aspect. I think to their defense, though, I I believe they didn't see that there's an offensive lineman worth taking number one overall. I mean, because there was an offensive lineman taking Jonah uh, Jonah Williams wasn't taken until the 11th pink by 11th by the Bengals. Right. And so usually, you know, great offensive lineman, they're taking obviously in the top four, at least in the top four. They probably didn't feel as if there was an offensive lineman worth taking in those spots where they had those picks and they were baking on uh, Kyler Murray's ability to get out the pocket and be mobile to better the situation than a guy like Josh Rosen would. Well, I'm not saying that they should have taken an offensive alignment with the number one pick, but if they're going to trade Josh Rosen to the Miami Dolphins, why not use that second-round pick on an offensive lineman at that point? I mean, there were a bunch of offensive Great linemen point. going off the board during that second round. But moving on to the other quarterback, probably the biggest quarterback story this entire weekend, <laughs> uh, the Giants take Daniel Jones at number six in <laughs> And I feel like um, Obi-Wan from Star Wars, where I just felt like a collective cry of millions of people just screaming out to me when that happened. Uh, oh prefer- preferably from the Meadowlands era, area in New, York, New Jersey and New York. Uh, Luke, where do you, uh, some people are saying, ah, this is probably not that bad. Some people are, you know, wanting to put David Gettleman's head on a stick, uh, Walking Dead style. Where do you fall on this? No words, man. <laughs> I, I, I really, I really did need to to think about that one, but he's he's okay, you know, he's okay. But the sixth pick in the draft—that's what I'm saying. You couldn't have got. I mean, that's what I, I'm I wouldn't, saying. I wouldn't have even taken him at 17. No, I, I totally, I the, totally look, the agree. Ravens, the Ravens probably got a better quarterback in the sixth or seventh round with um, uh, Trace McSorley. <laughs> then the then, then the Giants Here, got at number six here, here's the with thing. Daniel Jones. Here's the thing, Nick. The part of the reason why is because David Cutcliffe he coached Peyton Manning, and I, so that, look, and that, so that there is that relationship. There is that relationship with the Mannings, and so that's part of the infatuation that I don't I don't believe in. I don't believe in. I think if anything, if he, if if you look at him the way people looked at. Uh, uh, Josh Allen last year. Josh Allen, people thought, oh my gosh, you know, that's a reach or whatever. And Josh Allen had a pretty, pretty good year for for what we thought. 
no one thinks that Daniel his Jones potential is be was good. through the roof though. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. Josh Allen has his potential is crazy. Yeah, this this, <laughs> this guy Daniel Jones they're comparing him to Ryan Tannehill. I think that Ooh. I think that that is um a pretty big comparison. Like, I think and I think that I fits. I don't Honestly. think, dude. I don't even think. I think <laughs> it's 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 a Blaine Gabbard 2.0, and Blaine Gabbard was better. Oh my, <laughs> uh, some some so some damning words. But um, moving, we got about. I want to start talking uh, sentimentals in about three minutes here. So, uh, I want uh, from every single one of you team that had a good, or I guess I don't say won the draft because there are no winners or losers at this point. But team that had a good draft, team that had a bad draft. Uh, biggest steal of the draft and biggest reach of the draft. Let's see if you all can remember that, Chris. We're gonna start with you and rapid, rapidamente, please. Uh, yeah. Uh, winners uh, or best draft? I'm gonna say Washington Redskins. Losers, give me. I, I mean, we we just talked about the Giants. Uh, you have how, to. How 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 do you not? Yeah. Biggest steal, Dwayne Haskins for the Redskins. He should not have been there. He should not have been there at 15. That's who the that's who the Giants should have picked up. Uh, and biggest risk, I'm gonna say is Daniel Jones. Okay. All right, Brandon. Um, I think the best uh, draft had us go to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think they got their linebacker of the future to replace uh, Shazier, somebody that could run their team. Um, Benny Snell. Benny Snell, which was also a huge pickup for them. I think the probably the worst would have to be, in my opinion, the Raiders. I don't think I think they definitely reach with Pharrell. Uh, I think they could have easily got him uh, later on in the first round. Um, and I think the biggest risk is obviously Daniel Jones. You can't take that. I don't, you don't take that type of talent at six. All right, Luke. For me, the the biggest disappointment has got to be the Giants with with Daniel Jones and a couple of head scratchers beyond that. I mean. You you look back and see this is what they got for OBJ, yeah. You know uh, it's 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 really brutal to look. Biggest steal of the draft has got to be Josh Allen, the defensive end out of Kentucky. That was a huge pick for the Jags. People don't understand how big that is because defense does win championships, and this defense for the Jaguars is going to be the best defense since the Seahawks the the first year they won the Super Bowl. It will be even better than that. I think they're going to be unbelievable. And the one who won the draft, this is going to be a little bit of an outlier. I think you guys will disagree with me, but it's got to be the Arizona Cardinals with getting their guy, Kyler Murray, because there's no one else in the NFL right now that you could have gotten in free agency to, to fit Kingsbury's offense. There, were, there was no one. Now, looking at that team, though, the Arizona Cardinals, they aren't very good. And if you look at comparing Baker Mayfield with Kyler Murray, both of them went number one overall. I thought at the time Baker Mayfield was a stretch for that area, but he was put in a very good situation where the team was up and coming and actually had good players. Now you're looking at uh, Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray will not be as successful as Baker Mayfield for that reason. So it's it's going to be tough. We'll, we'll see what happens, but they got their guy, and that's what matters. Dakota? I, I can't share that sentiment. Kyler Murray is going to be running like – He's going to be running away like the roadrunner from Wiley Coyote the entire season. I think the best draft went to the Seahawks. I think they got great value for their picks, moving up to get DJ Metcalf at the end of the second. I thought that was a great pick. He also, they also shored up their defense later on in the draft. I think I'm agreeing with Chris on the best pick was probably Dwayne Haskins. The Giants should have never let that man fall past them. And... In terms of the worst draft, I, I will have to go with the Cardinals. I mean, so many skill position players, but 
as we've seen, it starts up front with so many of these teams. And if you can't at least contain up front, if your front is just switch tees, it's just not going to work. Yeah, I think the best draft for me probably has to either go to the Dolphins or the Packers. I mean, those are my two teams, but it's not the reason why I'm selecting them. You take, you get a guy like Christian Wilkins at 13 when he should have probably been taken four by the Oakland Raiders. He might be one of the biggest steals of the draft, but that's not who I'm going to go to. And then, of course, you get Josh Rosen, basically uh, could have a, p- a potential number one pick from last year for basically pennies this year. Uh, you get um, a fantastic haul from that. Got a great linebacker out of Wisconsin, Van Ginkle. He he can hit hard. He can play fast. That's exactly what the Dolphins needed. Be able to hit with a name like Van Geekle. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, he, I mean, he's Thor 2.0 or 3.0. There was AJ Hawkins, CJ uh, CJ Matthews. But uh, in terms of Green Bay, uh, Rayshon Gary, yes, he has shoulder problems. But you think about what he brings, just that explosiveness. Uh, I love how the Packers went double defense. I mean, obviously they went full pursuit of defense in free agency, and then they doubled down making sure that they did solidify those positions, even if their free agents didn't work out. Absolutely love that. Love the Rayshon Gary pick, especially because he did play up near there already. So, you know, learning to play in the cold is not going to be a factor for him. Um, I always think that's a plus, and that's definitely something to consider. Could you play in the cold? I couldn't play in the cold. I like the cold, but I couldn't play in it. Um, <laughs> lots of lots of numbness going on. Uh, so we've covered two best. Uh, wor- real head scratcher for me, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They got a great first round pick, but you're taking a, a kicker in the fifth round after Aguayo, you know, kind of <laughs> floundered out in the second round. I don't know. Tampa Bay just doesn't seem to learn from their mistakes. That they definitely had a poor draft. Uh, I agree. The Raiders had a poor draft in terms of I think they're talent personnel evaluation a biggest stretch for me uh it's still got to be daniel jones at six i mean there's no way that you can get around that so with eight minutes left in the show um it's time to get sad guys um <laughs> it doesn't have to be sad it doesn't though, have Nick. to be sad but it's reflective it's what a defi- year it's been it's been such a fantastic year with you buddy it's it's been something that i have always wanted to do when i when i first got to the station there's nothing else that i wanted to do more than host this show and it's really been a dream come true, and I'm really happy that I could have experienced this all with you and that I had such great help along the way. Brandon's always – but he, he always shows up in suits, which is um, – <laughs> Intimidating. Per- intimidating. <laughs> it's really intimidating. Always um, making us look bad. Nick, yeah. can we get Desperado playing in the background uh, right now? Know, right? Uh, we can if you give me a <laughs> if, if, if you uh, – if you give me a couple I don't think seconds, we want to cry on air, buddy. Well, I don't know. Do you want it or do you not want it? <laughs> About to be real, real sad boy hours okay. up in here. No, sad boy hours <laughs> up in here. Okay. Scary hours. No, I, l- listen, be- being on this show has been just it, – it's been something that I didn't think that I'd be able to do when I first got to this station. And to be able to do it week in and week out has been like – It's uh, playing, by the way. I know, I, know, really? I know you don't have headphones I on. I can't but. hear it, but I bet it's, it sounds – Amazing. Guys, I got a question for you. What sure. at the beginning of this year we all went out to Miami and and that was kind of like getting to know all of us together. So what what did you guys think of that trip even though uh it was you know eight you know close to eighteen hours in the car together? Uh <laughs> reflecting on that. There was a lot of uh memories in that one. That's probably one gonna gonna be one of my favorite memories for the rest of my life. Being able to go down and um spend eighteen hours in a car with people that I've truly come to cherish as some of my best friends. But, you know, there's some funny moments along the way, too. I mean, bashing my hand on a broken beer bottle glass oh, in Miami because oh, they don't know how to use garbage cans. I mean, there's there's too many to, to list there, Nick, I mean, guys, on that we trip. Were on the road. <laughs> I mean, on the road? 
<laughs> um, well, then, of course, we were we were stuck in Miami traffic trying to find a way into the stadium. Oh they had blocked, I don't know if anybody remembers this, but they had blocked off every single major entrance yeah, to that stadium. Chris had to try and get out to get our passes. And because the, they wouldn't let media get in without media passes, but you can't get media passes without getting in. Which <laughs> is, is mind-blowing. Uh, I had to get out twice of the car to try to bully our way into to try and find something. I actually had there to try. There was a guy that we tried to offer. Yeah, beer uh, yeah, we tried. Guys, to, we, guys, what what a game though when we got oh in. Gosh. Unbelievable. No one thought 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 that Florida State had a shot, and I mean that that really made the whole thing worth it. Was even even the loss, but you know the the team showed a little bit of heart, and although it didn't work out. It was it, it was, was a, a turning point. Look, it, it, it's kind of a funny thing. All of my favorite memories at Florida State have come in losses, all of them. Hmm. I mean, when you think about kind of the unfortunate state of Florida State, Florida State football, um, but I mean the rest of Florida State athletics has been fantastic. I remember the North Carolina game from a couple of years ago. Florida, uh, that's this is football I'm talking about. Came back from like something absurd, like two touchdowns down to lead uh, North Carolina with maybe a minute and a half left, and they came down. And they kicked a field goal, and their kicker ran down the middle of. Uh, uh, oh, that's Bob- the worst Doing moment the of my Florida State oh, career. My God. But, the but, worst. But what a game that was! And I mean, I was there for the buzzer beater uh, for Duke against Florida State. Yeah, that was great. there for that. I was there for uh, Mike Martin's 2000th win. I mean, that's I not gonna, for, that's for me, definitely not a negative. But what an amazing moment for an incredible person. Absolutely. No, for me, I think my, my top two Florida State moments has to be one that came in uh, my freshman year, one that came, I'm no, actually technically my sophomore year, and one that came my senior year. Sophomore year was my first year on campus. I'd spent a year abroad. My first Florida State football game was Florida State versus Ole Miss uh, in Orlando. <laughs> What a comeback! I had never been to a football. The greatest game football game I've ever been to oh in my, my life. That did you guys? Did you guys go to Alabama versus Florida State? No, but they didn't give me Florida a ticket. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I I remember that game as well. I mean, obviously, it ended up being horrible for Florida State that season. But yeah. a, being able to be in uh, the Mercedes Dome, Mercedes Benz Dome, um, I think is that. I know Mercedes-Benz Mercedes Stadium Dome, whatever Superdome, whatever they want to label it. Uh, that place is loud. Yeah, loud. Mm-hmm. I mean, there has rarely been an occasion when I have actually had my ears hurt, except of course from like music concerts and yeah. whatever. It was like a music concert, hmm. just really like blaring loud, um, and where you had to t- your your ears felt like they were shaking, like your eardrums actually felt like they were shaking. You can also hear DeAndre get injured. Oh yeah, you uh, can hear that too. snap uh, from oof. miles away. Uh, um, Dakota, what, a hit. what what are your favorite moments? I I can't choose the losses just because I've been through so many so so many highs and so many lows. You know, <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were gonna say so many losses, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of true. But. I think one of the images that sticks the most in my mind is a couple years ago when we beat Florida in Tallahassee up here, and you have D-Walk holding the Gator head in the student section. That, and I would say the men's last big home game this year when they played VT, being courtside for that, for how it played out over time right there with how the team played and being able to just see the reactions and see how like VT the coach w- was not going to let that <laughs> loss go. They wanted us back and they couldn't they couldn't do it either. We got them again in the tournament and so those two would have to be the moments that stand out to me well, in my so, mind. Let me say that's actually one of my favorite moments too because 
that the the Virginia Tech game was the first and and only basketball game I got to witness as a fan, men's basketball game that I got to witness as a fan, and what a game that was! I could scream my head off <laughs> as much as I wanted to. Which as which as me and Brandon were talking about at the beginning of the show, that that's something that kind of gets stripped away from us. But right. I mean, of course, there are some incredible things there too. So, there are some things like a huge comeback when you when you when you only scored nineteen points in the first half to then score the way that they did in the second half that was that was something to cheer about i mean and just being able to do the things that we can you know right. being able to sit in a room with mike Krzyzewski, the, the the godfather of men's mm-hmm. basketball for the Duke game. oh that for, was crazy right. that was that was i i don't get starstruck much mm-hmm. but i was i was in awe of that man and how mm-hmm. how it, contrary to kind of how scary he looks sometimes <laughs> incredibly respectful incredibly nice yeah. But, Chris, with a minute left, and we're going to go overtime a little bit, and if somebody has something to say about it, they can bite me. Um, Chris, bite him. Bite Chris, him, Brandon. Chris, <laughs> this, is, this is your last time as co-host, yeah. and this is this is your time to shine. So I'm going to let you have the floor to say oh my God. thank you f- to, to people, f- to, to say basically anything that you want. I'd like to thank my mother and my father for just everything that they've done for me for giving me the opportunity to be able to come out here uh i'd love to be able to thank everyone who is in this room right now i i absolutely would not be in the seat would not uh have learned from my experiences as much as i have without or being able to enjoy it without everyone in here and there are certainly people who aren't here uh that i have a lot of thanks to give as well but um I don't think we could be here for a full other hour giving thanks for that. So (laughs) just it's been an amazing ride and um, I wouldn't trade it in the world for anything. So what are you going to be doing afterwards? Uh, I will be going to Spain for three months to essentially be an RA (laughs) abroad for a little bit. Uh, Probably spend some time in L.A. back home. Uh, Hi, mom. Hi, dad. And uh, I'll probably end up back here in Tallahassee trying to do some stuff with uh, either Seminole Productions or getting getting more involved in, in sport media here. It sounds like a plan to me. Absolutely. All right. It's, well, it's thank you, thank you, everybody, for tuning into this episode of Tomahawk Talk. I'm going to be back next week. Luke is going to be back next week. We are going to carry on the summer shows. Uh, Michael Hudak is in the room, so I, I can't necessarily take the tad line that you can't kill me tour or whatever you call <laughs> it. Uh, but <laughs> but it's going to be another remastered. Uh, yeah, remastered. Uh, Tomahawk Talk yes. remastered. We'll, 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 we'll come up with something. We're we're creative people. Um, <laughs> thank you all so much for being here with us throughout the entire two semesters that I've been host and that Chris has been a co-host with me for all the fun times, for all the sad times, all the ups and downs. Really thank you all for tuning in and listening to uh, all of us talk about stuff that we love. So uh, I can't really go on much more because I did say bite me, but I cannot go on forever. Uh, You've been listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee. The Voice of Florida State new release is up next. We'll see you next week.